faithfulness is not dependent on my faithfulness. He remains faithful even when I'm not faithful. So quit. Stop working. You're not working for salvation. That's the enemy's plan. That's the enemy's job. You need to rest in who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. And when you understand what he's done for you, you are so honored and, and thankful that he took a wretched sinner, cleansed us by the blood of Jesus, freed us. You don't want to sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. And then you walk in the light and you're not even sin conscious. He doesn't want you sin like, oh, my God, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. You can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, that's sin. Well, good Lord, when you focus on that, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to sin. That's all you're focused on. But when you're focused on how good God is and what he's freed you from and all the freedom that you have, it becomes like you're focused on that and sends this little thing over there. And you're like, why would I want to go back to that? But every once in a while, here's reality. You still got this flesh that someday we're going to be free from completely. No trace. So if you do, you have an advocate. And I don't have to go like beat myself for two weeks and go like, well, I can't talk to God because I looked at porn. So now I got to like, I got to put myself in like lockdown in prison and be like whip myself. I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad boy. I can't come talk to God. I can't come in the light because he's angry at me. Or I, whatever you did, whatever your sin was, you go, inst- you go, and the fact that you're guilty about it shows you that your heart has changed. That there's a new creature inside of you and it doesn't like the sin. So you go, oh God, I'm so sorry. And he's like, yeah, remember that? I I covered it. We're good. Now just walk in the light. Don't go back in the dark. Don't go away from me. Come close to me. Draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. Is that the truth? How many of you have been on that journey? Well, I need to pay like the penalty for a while before I can... That's stupid. He already paid the penalty. He said, come boldly to the throne room of grace. Is that a little different than modern Christian or old Christianity? Or I don't know what. But is that different than your Jesus? Because if you have a different Jesus than that, you got the wrong one. You haven't really met him. You met somebody else's Jesus. Can't do it. Yeah, you met Jesus. Or Jesus the third, or I don't know. But the Jesus I know is always, every time I've screwed up, he's always been like, oh, son, get up. Don't stay down. He's never been like, oh, you stupid kid. He said, oh, get up. Let me wash you. Let me heal you. He's not like beating you up about it. Like, man, you're a moron. Like, how many times you got to do that, stupid? Oh, yeah, go stick your hand in the fire again. How many has heard Jesus tell you that? If so, that wasn't him. The devil's the accuser. The devil's the one that's always bringing the accusation. I don't know if I'll get the message or not today. Who knows? (laughs) That's his job. And everything he says is a lie. He's the father of lies. So it becomes easy to go like, you're never going to be free. That's the most encouraging thing you can hear. 
if, if he's saying that, then the truth is the opposite. You're never going to be free. Oh, dude, what else you got? That means I am going to be free. Like fire something else away. Tell me what else I can't do. Well, guess what he's going to do? Oh, shoot. That ain't going to work. Now, he's going to go figure out another way to try to come at you. But if you start pulling that on him, he's going to quit that one. How many have done that? How many have really said, like, okay, well, that ain't the truth. You've exposed the lie. And then that's what Jesus did. He exposed the lie. Satan used partial truth. He goes, well, but here's what the word says. Well, here's what the word says. Well, you know what, Satan? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So miss me with that. That's who I was. But thank God. You know, Jesus is so good that he redeemed me. And now he sees me as if I've never sinned. So what else you got? No, I'm walking in the light. I'm not hiding this from him. I've already brought it to him. So tell him something he doesn't know. Like, what are you going to do when you're in the light? What can people throw at you when you're in the light? What can Satan accuse you of if it's already in the light? And then once it's forgiven, it's gone. Gone. He said, well, well, Pastor, but I'm still struggling. Yeah, well, that's why we're all here. Isn't that why we're here? You got it all figured out yet? You guys perfect? Well, that's why we're all here. The minute this church, well, if this was perfect when I showed up, it was not perfect anymore. <laughs> and this is not a perfect church because you don't have a perfect pastor. And, and I'm the last person to condemn any of you. We had a young girl at camp. She was so, so afraid, so afraid to come in the light. She wanted to come in the light. And I think she wanted me to ask her, but I'm like, I ain't doing it. I am not. You're gonna, if you're going to share, it's going to be all on your own. She's like, well, I really have some, but I'm afraid to, to put the rock in the fire. I said, okay. She's like, waiting for me to. And she goes, well, I don't think I can tell you. Okay. Well, she pulls out the rock. If you want to read it, you can. Okay. And then I go, but before I read your rock, just know, if I had to go get a rock, or my rock, when it was time to go in the fire, I said, it'd be about the size of this picnic table. And I'd be writing on all areas of that sucker. And she started laughing. I go, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not going to judge you, hon. Okay. Well, this is, this is going to be easy for Jesus. Guess what? Whatever you got, this is going to be easy for Jesus. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the, the God of heaven's armies. He's the creator of the universe, of the cosmos, of the galaxies. Our little stuff is little to him. It's like, oh my gosh, this, and the saints just got us convinced. It's so big, and it's like, oh... You're never going to be able to do anything with that. And he gets us into a place, church. And he, I don't care what your addiction is or what your sin is. His goal is to get you to a point that you see in your own heart, soul, mind 
and believe completely that there's no hope. There's no way out. Or that it's so, it's such an overwhelming journey that you just can't even comprehend that you could ever be free. And I don't care what name you want to put on it, that's his goal. And then he wants you to get to a point that it's so hopeless that you should just end it. Satan's LSD, lust, the lust of the flesh, the thought, goes and turns into sin. Now, thought ain't sin. When you react to that and you begin to move into that, it becomes sin. And then sin won't just stay there. It will lead to death. The wages of sin is death. That's the payment for sin. The gift of God. It's a gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. It's given. But you do have to receive it. Is abundant life. And he wants to, Satan wants to put it so far that there's no hope for that. But it is like this when Jesus, zoom. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to have to walk some stuff out. But I'll tell you, inside and in here, in your mind, soul, and in your body, you can be free. Didn't mean I still had to do some court-mandated stuff. Didn't still have to jump through hoops. Yeah, but the whole time I was jumping through hoops, I was free. And they don't know what to do when you're free. Like, it was like, it became a joy to be able to go to 18 months of alcohol classes and talk about Jesus. Amen. Guess what? I have to be here. <laughs> you're making me be here. So if I got to be here and you want us to share, guess who got to hear about Jesus for 18 months? Guess who got to hear that, like, Hi, I'm Steve. I'm an alcoholic. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not an alcoholic. I was an alcoholic, and I was a drug addict and a sex addict and all kinds of other stuff that you want to put labels on. But I'm not that anymore. Well, yes, you are. No, I'm not. I'm not I don't drink anymore. I don't smoke weed anymore. I don't do dope anymore. I don't chase women anymore. I don't, I'm a new creation. The Bible says that that man died, and there's a whole new man, so I won't be associating with that guy. That guy dead. There's a new man. And they were like, what do you do with that? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm not going back in that box. Good luck. Now let me tell you what he's been doing for me. Well, I don't know if we have enough time. It's my turn to share. <laughs> I owe oh, 18 months of that. They were glad when my time was up. What do you do with people who get free? That's going to speak the truth. Now, was I perfect? No. Was I free? Heck yeah. That's where he wants you. Free. Satan wants to bind you. Jesus wants to free you. It's not complicated. You can be in darkness and go in death, or you can be in the light and be free. But you can't have both. You got to choose. I want to choose death. And that choice is in every part of your life. There's, there's two trees. Remember the garden? All the way back to the beginning. There's two trees. One tree, you can be like God. And everyone's going. Then there's a tree of life. Which tree are you going to choose? One tree is going to cause you to go to death. And this tree is going to cause you to live forever. 
And all day long, you've got two trees in your garden all day long. Every choice you make, watch. I can eat life or destruction. Now, don't get overwhelmed. Oh, my gosh, what decision am I making today? Like, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He makes this pretty easy. He's like, hey, why don't we just go this way? Okay. And then we eat from the tree of death. We're like, oh, oh, that wasn't good. He's like, yeah, no, that's not too good, is it? How about life? Oh, that's a good idea. And then we get going and we're like, oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks really good. Oh, ooh. Yeah, that wasn't the good tree. Like I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you on that one. Yeah, you did, huh? Okay, you want to spit it out? Yes. <laughs> oh, I want that tree. Yeah, get the good one. It's not complicated. It's a lot easier if you completely die to yourself. But it's really hard when you don't. That's a miserable man, unstable in all of his ways. That's what James says. He says, that man shouldn't ask for anything. It's all in. No one will admit this, but anyone who's played Texas Hold'em poker will understand. God is the ultimate Texas Hold'em player. He's going to push all the chips in. I'm all in. And if you're going to play with him, you better push all your chips in. Because if you leave any chips out, we ain't playing. It's all or nothing. And he does not hide that. He says, if you're going to follow me, then pick up your cross. We're going to a place of death. And people don't really want to talk about that in the church. That's not like you're motivational altar call anymore <laughs> oh you want to come meet jesus yeah pick up your cross we're gonna go die but that's what he did you want to follow me oh cool that's awesome we're headed in there you know what a lot of people went like this um yeah i think i'm gonna take a rain check i got some other stuff i need to do i love you though Well, that's not going to fare well when that trumpet sounds. It's not going to fare well when we stand before him and go, I had good intentions. Man, I had good intentions of like giving it all up and following you. Is, is, is your name written in the book? That's the truth. But see, that truth is what should set us free. That we go, oh, that's truth. I need to get right. Or I'm going to get left. It's, people will say something. Well, you're just very black and white. I feel like God's pretty black and white. Life or death. Choose. Is that pretty black and white? Now, I do, I do understand that there is some gray area. And some people will go, Pastor, there's not gray area. Yeah, there is. There's stuff that's not in here. That, that's called work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's some things he's going to ask me to do that he might not ask you to do. And I'm responsible to what he's saying. And you're responsible to what he's calling you to. But it not, he might not be calling me to that. You follow me? Is that the truth? Okay, that's the gray stuff. There is sin is sin. Everything in here that he says, 
This is sin. I don't want you to be a part of that. That's the same for all of us. But there is some things that just because of our little broken areas or areas that the enemy has lured us away that might not be named as sin, but he's saying, for you, this is off limits. You're not, you don't do too well with that. But for them, they don't struggle with that. They're okay. Don't worry about them. You worry about yourself and what I'm telling you to do. God ever had that conversation with you? That's called maturity. <laughs> Early on, when he would point his finger at things, I would go right around and think everyone else should do it too. I'm like the police. Well, he told me that, and you need to do that. Just shut up and worry about yourself. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Hey, why don't you worry about the log in your own eye? Like, you got enough work to do there, son. Let me work with them. Now, that doesn't mean, Rick, when God takes areas in our life and he frees us and he heals us, that then we're qualified to help him come along other people and go, you know, let me show you what God's done with me in this area. But it's not to go point your finger and poke him in the eye and be like, you're a wretched sinner. Because the only reason that there's any cleansing to us is not because we're good, it's because of his goodness and his righteousness and his holiness. You don't make yourself holy. He applies the blood of Christ, and that's how you're made holy. Otherwise, you can brag about it. And how foolish is that? Like, oh, I took a bath this morning. Whoop. Good for you. That's about as good as you can do. Your own effort is filthy rags. Surrender yourself. All. All. Amen? Boy, I wonder what second service is going to be like. If you have your Bibles open, Revelation 5. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Now, I got to tell you, this, what is going on, this is the greatest moment I think that there possibly could be in not history yet, in future, that will be the greatest moment of all time. This is the redemption plan of the world that has been prophesied all through the Old Testament, all consistently over and over and over, and there's some patterns that come that, that there's going to be judgment. God's going to deal with the people and the transgressors on planet Earth He's, he is standing in the position as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That innocent, meek lamb. That sacrificial lamb who kept his mouth silent. But he says, but he's also the lion. So he's in that position of the lamb, but he's standing, resurrected, alive, fully. And coming in power as the lion. Like the king of the jungle. Like, lion's a bad cat. That's how he's coming to deal and, and make things right. And he's got seven horns and seven eyes, which we're going to get into. But this is the, I mean, this is what all creation is in, is in anticipation for. Basically, making things back the way they originally were. 
You know, I mean, Romans says that the trees and all creation is going to sing. Like, they're going to stand up stronger, straighter. It's going to be brighter. Like, there's no stain and weight of sin on the earth. Can you imagine that? Complete redemption. Like, this is what's happening. The kinsman redeemer has fit all the obligations and is beginning to open the seal, the title deeds, to this millennium period. And this, I mean, this is the greatest moment, the greatest scene that can ever be seen. And he's saying, who's worthy? And there is no one worthy but one. Jesus. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep. This is John. I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Can you imagine? He's freaked out. He's like, no, like we want this redemption. We want like all the things that I've been preaching and, and excited about. Like, no, someone's got to be able to open it. And then you see the scene. And I begin to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book in the seven seals. And it's so funny. He says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is overcome. So what do you expect to see in the next scene? A lion, right? And I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Woo. That is awesome. So we're going to keep going on about the, we covered in the last few weeks and there was interruptions. So you guys are going to bear with me. I hope you listened good the last few times. If you haven't, um, you're going to have to go back and listen or not and just pick up what you can today. We're going to be in Isaiah 11 today. We did part of this last week. We finished up with Romans 8. It says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. What I want you to see through why we're in these sections is that you're going to see the the root of Jesse, which was said in Revelation, the seven eyes, the seven horns, which we've covered a bunch of that. Um, We're going to finish up the seven eyes today. But I want you to see the pattern that's been so consistent throughout. This is fulfillment of exactly what was prophesied through Isaiah. And you see that the Lord comes, that there's going to be some judgment, there's going to be some righting some wrongs, and then millennial reign. And that's exactly what you see. Um, and I got to, very quickly before I go, if anyone's done any homework and studying, there's lots of different um, thoughts on eschatology. I've been watching other people's ideas and thoughts, um, especially the, um, what are they calling it now? They, it used to just be like a mid-trip, but now it's like a pre-wrath. It sounds like it's, oh, that, you agree. It's No. Um, they're like, we're going to go through tribulation. And some of the things that they say, and I just listened to a handful of them, but I can disprove two of them very, very quickly. Um, they say like, well, the rapture's not in the Bible. And they just keep going over. The rapture's not in the Bible. The rapture's not in the Bible. Okay, they're like, well, there's like metaphors, and there's all kinds of things that are like that. And he's kind of using these, these analogies. And there's hundreds of those. 
But rapture's not in the Bible. Well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. The word harpazo in the Greek, which means a snatching away quickly, is in the Latin Bible, it's rapturo, which is where we get our English word rapture. Now, the funny thing is, is they don't say, well, the word trinity isn't in the Bible. It's not. Is God three in one? How do we know that? Because it's inferred like so many times. Just like the rapture is inferred in Paul, and it is in the Bible. Paul talks about it. The Thessalonians were all tweaked out because they thought they missed the rapture in the middle of tribulation. And he's like, um, no, just because you're going through suffering, and that's another lie. They're like, yeah, these pre-trib people, they don't think they're going to go through tribulation. Um, church history, hello, the church has been getting persecuted for 2,000 years. So I definitely know, and I've got the you know, voices of the martyrs hanging on my wall in my office of seeing all the persecuted church. But that's not God's wrath. That's man's wrath. So yeah, the church is going to go through stuff. No secret. The word rapture isn't in the Bible. Catching away quickly is. Trinity isn't in the Bible. God's three. We see it. It's inferred. It's over all throughout. Just like the word Bible isn't in the Bible. Do we believe in the Bible? Why? The word Bible's not in the Bible. Just saying. So if that's your, like, big, it's not in the Bible, there's a lot of things. But we know it's there. And there's hundreds of them, which I probably will have to deal with here probably in the next week or so. Like, I'm just going to go through and do, like, a okay, which I've kind of been laying a, a pretty good biblical foundation, but there's still people that's like, but, Pastor, I watched this video. Just because you ride it in a, you know, the bathroom stall doesn't mean it's true. Well, that's the internet to me, the bathroom stall. Now, I should say, there's good Christian brothers that are highly intelligent, that study the Word of God, and they've, they've come to that conclusion. I'm okay. Like, if you need to store food, and you need to build a bunker, and you need, okay. I ain't doing it. Even if. I, in my faith, I'm not like fully, like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen if I'm not? I totally believe I am. But if I'm not, it ain't going to change a dang thing. I think you guys would know that. Like, I'm not afraid. I'm going to serve God like I always do. They need to lock me up to do that. I'm going I'm to preach the gospel in jail. They're all going to get saved. Or they're going to kill me because I won't shut up. And then I'm going to be see Jesus anyways. But I'm not going to, like, store... Well, I mean, what's the plan with that? Then who, we got to shoot people if they try to get our stuff? That's pretty loving. Sorry about your luck. And if I do got to go through that, the Bible's already shown that, like, he can give me manna from heaven. He can bring uh, uh, ravens to feed me like he did Elijah. Like, I don't need this world system for God to take care of me. He's either faithful or he isn't. Amen? What else do they say? That one was pretty funny. Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll get to it probably in a couple weeks. But there's a couple. 
Isaiah 11. It says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. That's Jesus. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. So that stump, there's going to be a branch spring forth from the stump. It's going to look like all of those kings and all of those people that were going to um, rule and reign as kings for Israel got whacked off. There's a stump, but there's a shoot that springs forth. That's Jesus. He goes on, and he says, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, or in him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So he's not going to judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear. I believe it's going to be a little sniff test. Is the fear of the Lord on them? That's one of mine. You can fool people with your eyes. You can fool people by what you say. He's not even using none of that. Fear of the Lord. That's what he's looking for. That was for free. It says, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hears. Now here, listen, here's the judgment. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted and of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. What's that? His words. And he will, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness, the belt about the waist. Now listen to the transition. So there was judgment. He's bringing the smack down. Boom, transition, millennial time. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the, and the um, fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze together. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat, and the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Has that happened yet? And why I'm saying that is there's, a, there's eschatology that will say that the millennium's already happened. Not according to Isaiah. Because I don't know of a time period where there wasn't any fighting. The, the, the lions and the, and the ox are like eating grass together. Little kids can just lead a bull and, and like, oh, come on. They could be playing with snakes and nothing's going to harm them. There's no, no hurt, no harm's going to come. That has not happened yet. Amen? Amen? But what Jesus is like getting ready to open the scrolls, that's like going to start all that. So that's super exciting. Like I want to, can you imagine? Like just let your kids run about. It's all good. No harm's going to come. They're just playing with vipers. Oh, dad, look at that viper. Oh, that's a really color pretty one, buddy. This almost, like, not almost, this sounds like revival. Do you understand the level of peace that is going on? I mean, animals aren't even fighting each other. There is no, there, everything is awesome. Animals are, there's no bickering, there's no fighting, there's no, that's like, that's what revival is supposed to look like. Like, when revival happens, that's how you know. Like, the church isn't mad at each other. People aren't like bickering and people aren't like holding the fences and, and it's just like, oh, I love you. That's what revival looks like. You want it like, there was revival. Revival happened. Well, if it didn't look and sound like that, it might not have been revival. You might have had some excitement. But if everything went back to the same of like people bickering and fighting and there wasn't unity, you didn't have revival. You had emotion. That'll preach. That, that's the model. Unity. 
Like people and things that aren't supposed to fit together come together. Like there's no racism in revival. You don't need to teach any, any, what is that garbage? Critical race theory. Stupid. That's for, that's of the, that's of the pit of hell. Let's teach people how to be separated. Let's teach people how to hate each other because they're not hating each other enough. Let's go backwards. No, God's like, dude, you're all getting along. Like there, there is no Jew, Gentile. There's no black, white. We're all from the same source, Adam. Like this ain't complicated. He wants us all together, unity. And when revival hits, that happens. You don't have to like teach it. You don't have to like put classes on for it to happen. It happens. You should be shouting hallelujah about that. So, where do I leave off? Revival. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Man, has that day happened yet? No. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Then it will come about in that day. In that day. You're going to see lots of scripture, and I don't have time to go there, but I'll give you some notes for like Zechariah, and it's over and over, and like, on that day. That day. It ain't that day yet. So if your theology says that already happened, it says on that day, then I'm going to show me on that day when that happened. Give me a date. When did that day happen? Well, we're not talking about a real thousand years. Well, he's talking about a real thousand years. Well, you can't take everything literal. Well, no, you can't take everything literal, but you better take prophecy literal because every prophecy he's ever spoke has happened just like he said. Every single one. Show me a prophecy that has happened, that has been fulfilled, that didn't happen, just like he said, and I'll say, I will say, you're right. But you're wrong. That's going to happen, just like he said. And then he goes to Isaiah 61, which I don't even think, don't worry, Steve. I told him, I don't know, I had a feeling today could be, the Lord was stirring my spirit. Isaiah, not 61, Isaiah 59. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to read it. Isaiah 59, 17. This sounds very familiar. It says, and he will put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He's speaking of Jesus. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle according to their deeds so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries. To who? His adversaries. To who? His adversaries. He actually says in the Testament, I will not pour out my wrath on my righteous. And if you can show me the pattern of God, that's another one, is, is they'll say, well, yeah, these people will say like this pattern of you know, like Noah's Ark and blah, 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 blah. But that doesn't mean that's so. And I'm like, are you a moron? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You have a right to your opinion. But how else are you going to know how God is except for by what he's already done and said? And when I have never seen God pour his wrath out on the righteous, and you can't show me in Scripture where he does that, then I'm not a moron to think, like, that's how he rolls. How do you know somebody? By their actions, by what they've always done. And when someone goes and says something so contrary to what God has always done or what you've always done, I don't even have to go research it. I'd be like, dude, I know Carlo. I've never heard that. I've never seen anything like that. I'm like, I don't think you know him. 
And it's contrary to what I've already seen in the patterns all throughout Scripture for 6,000 years. I've never seen that. I've only seen the opposite. So how am I crazy? Or termed demonic. See, I won't say if you're pre-wrath or you're all millennial, I'm not going to say you're demonic. But these guys are saying to, that I'm a demonic. I'm inspired by demons to try to teach people that God's not going to spare them because then the Satan's going to be able to destroy them in the tribulation. And they're going to... Are you serious? Like, you think in your own strength you're going to stop the Antichrist? Are you serious? Like, I'm twisting people and, and I'm going to cause a bunch of people to go sideways? You are not going to stand up against the Antichrist. That's going to go down just like it said. There's one that is holy and righteous. There's one, only one. No one else was worthy to open the scroll. There's one kinsman redeemer, and I'm not him. And neither are you. But we are the elders. We are the bride of Christ. We are seated around, seated around the throne. With the crowns that he already said, like, for the overcomers, these are the crowns. And he's like, hey, these are the clothes you're going to wear. And guess what? Who's wearing those clothes? The elders. The overcomers. So how is that demonic doctrine? It's the Bible. But the Lord does say in the last days there's going to be a different gospel. And the crazy thing is, is they're saying, I'm the different gospel. Like, you guys, how long have we been going through this? And how many scriptures, and we're not even close to done. How many scriptures have I showed you biblically? How is that twisted? Just like here in Isaiah, what are we seeing? This pattern. God, Jesus is robing himself to come and handle some business. And then what? And then, just watch. It says, so they will... According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the coastlands he will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. Now look, and a redeemer, a goel, a kinsman redeemer will come to Zion. To who? To Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. In who? Jacob. Just like in Daniel. He said, Daniel, this vision, this, this 70 years is for your people. Just like he told Jeremiah. This time of Jacob's distress is for who? For Jacob. Not for the church. And he says again, and a redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turn from transgressions in Jacob, declares the Lord. Now look it. This is so cool. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. Who's them? Jacob. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. And then you go into chapter 60, just keep reading about the millennium. You say, Pastor Steve, why are we talking about that? I want you to see the pattern. This pattern has been prophesied. Over and over and over. Please go and I'll give you some notes for Zechariah because we don't have time today. Because the Holy Spirit wanted me to talk to you about getting free, apparently. Like, that's his plan. But this is freedom in a whole other sense. Freedom in your mind. Freedom in your spirit. To be free. 
to see God's got a plan, you guys. It's a good plan. When has God not had a good plan? Like, when have you ever been like, God, that plan kind of, I won't say that. It was sorry. That plan stunk. You might say that, like, right in the moment, but some time may go by, and you're like, oh, my bad. I repent. That was a good plan. I just really wanted my way. And you didn't give me my way, so I don't like your plan. None of you do that. That's just me. But then I grow up, and I'm like, actually, God, you have a really good plan. The root of Jesse means the Messiah not only descends from David, but is the real source of the Davidic line. And he's going to stand as a banner, an assurance of victory. Isn't that awesome? An assurance of victory on whom around the nations will rally. Can you imagine? That day is going to come. All the nations of the world are going to come rally around the Messiah. They're going to come from north, south, east, and west all over the world and come and rally around him, and he's going to be their banner. That has not happened yet. But it's coming to a theater near you. Then it will happen on that day. And it says, and he will gather the dispersed of Judah and from the four corners of the earth. That's going to happen. Now, the super cool thing, we're going to go over, praise God. The super cool thing is, it, is we can see that happening right now. That has begun, 1948. Israel becomes a nation. And gathering from all the four corners of the earth is happening. They're coming back. Guys, we are watching this happen. That is happening. It says that he will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. It's happening just like he said. The first time was from Egypt. In verse 16, when you go later on in, in, in the chapter, you see the first time comes from Egypt. Out of Egypt, they, they come and God brings them out. Now, some people believe, and I'm not going to split here. Some people will say that that wasn't the first time. The first time was the return from Babylon. Okay, you can say that. But the only problem I have with that is not all of them came out of Babylon. True fact, they didn't all come out. They weren't, everyone came out of Egypt. And there's been times where partial have come out. But this is going to be everyone. So that's my thought. And I'm not going to fight you about it. You can, whatever. But that's my thought. Here's what the Bible says. In the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, it showed this as well, that the new, and, and the New Testament books of Acts, James, and 1 Peter, that they're still dispersed at that time. So some people say, 70 AD, everything happened. There, it's not. Look at this. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When the Holy Spirit fell, remember in the book of Acts? They were meeting at Pentecost. Jews from all over the world had came there. And isn't it cool that they get baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, okay, trip out. Like God separated their languages at Babel. You done jacked up. You guys are all screwed up. Like I'm messing your languages up. You're not going to communicate well. Guess what he does at Pentecost? They're from all over the world and he gives them tongues. And, they're all blah, 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 blah. and now they can speak everybody's language. Isn't that cool? Like that's, let me show you how I can do this. Like, I jacked up all your languages, but I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you and baptize you in such a way that, like, if you need to be able to communicate, you still can. Okay, that's for free. My point is, they were dispersed. James 1.1. James, he says, James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. To who? The 12 tribes. 
1 Peter 1.1, Peter says, An apostle of Jesus Christ to those who raise, reside as strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Now trip, trip out on this. There's even a greater scattering after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. This is just history. And yet again, after the Bar Kokhba, that's what it's called, the Bar Kokhba revolt in AD 132 through 135. There's a huge revolt going on. And Israelites get scattered even further. So that day must refer to the restoration of the end of the age. When you see that day in those prophecies, that day, that is the restoration, that day, when God says, enough's enough. I'm going to bring this judgment, and I'm bringing restoration to nation Israel. I'm bringing them all back. Now, are they all back yet? No, there's Jews living in America. There's Jews living in every country in the world. Are they heading back to Israel, like in droves? Yes, Israel's having a problem. Like, how are we going to house all these folks? It's even prophesied, and I'm not going to get there, but in Zechariah, that, that the, they will live outside the borders of the city, and he will protect them. Is that today? Nope, not that day yet. They're not residing. There's not so many Jews in Israel and, and Jerusalem right now that they're having to live outside the city, and God's protecting them supernaturally. But that's going to happen, just like he said. Man, I wish I had time to give you all of it. <laughs> oh, where should I stop? Right about here, I guess that's a good spot. The seven eyes that he's speaking of. This is so cool. Those eyes are the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of quick understanding. The prophecy described in advance, these very seven spirits of God, which here come into view as the seven eyes of the Lamb. So cool. They were the Spirit of God, the seven spirits of God was resting on the candlesticks in the throne room. And now, whew, as seven eyes on the Lamb, they're the seven spirits of God, and these are the eyes of understanding. This is how, like, there is no judgment. Like, no one's going to say, like, well, you don't understand. Jesus sees, it's seeing everything. And full, complete understanding. And his understanding and his judgment and his wisdom is correct and right. Like, like none other. His horns, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, show his fullness of power and authority, right? That's what that represented. His eyes show his fullness of intellectual and spiritual power. There's no one wise like our God. He sees all, understands all, comprehends all, processes it all perfectly, and is just perfectly. And from that source is able to bring the judgment. Does that make sense? That power, that authority. He's not a blind force. Not a blind force, but an almighty, directed by perfect and all-searching intelligence and divine understanding. That's... You can't blow smoke. No one will be able to, to accuse him on that day. No one will be able to say that your judgment isn't, work, isn't right. He's the branch that God was going to lay as the chief cornerstone. <laughs> also the seven eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. If you have, if you have time, I would challenge you to write down on your, your notes. We go read Zechariah 3, 8, 9. 
Write down Romans 11, 25 through 27. Actually, just read the whole chapter of Romans 11. That's where you're going to see where you get this replacement theology. Paul deals with that so, so easily. He's like, look, don't get too proud of yourself, Gentiles. You're a branch grafted in. Don't get too haughty and think like, basically, I got rid of Israel for you. Because they got haughty, they weren't following me, and I cut them loose. And if you do that, I'll cut you loose too. Which actually, let me read. I got to read that part real quick because I just want to, something come up this week and I just want to bring some clarity. And I wasn't, this verse doesn't usually get used for um, once saved, always saved. Oh, where is it at? He goes on and he says the purpose of the rejection of Israel. He says, I say then in verse 11 of Romans 11, I say then, did, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles a, and I magnified my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy, my fellow countrymen, talk about the Jews, save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Hmm. That kind of jacks up your once saved, always saved position. Were the Jews God's people? Did he cut that branch? Why? Unbelief. He says, don't get too haughty because I could snip that branch too. He goes, if that can happen to a natural branch and I can graft them back in. He goes, if I can graft in a wild olive tree, which we are, how much easier can I regraft in the original? And he's going to do that. That's happening. So we haven't replaced Israel. We haven't replaced Israel. If you read Romans chapter 11, please do, you're going to see God's plan through that. That replacement theology is not biblical. Actually, it's almost like God knew, right? He almost has like foreknowledge to know what people are going to come up with. He's like, I'm going to put this in here so we can just make sure that's taken care of. But somehow they don't read that or see that. But he goes on in verse 26 and 27. He says, and so all Israel will be saved just as it's written, just as it's written. The deliverer will come from Zion. That's Isaiah 59. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Zechariah 4 says, for who has shown contempt for the day of small things? They're talking about rebuilding the temple. Who has shown contempt 
for the day of small things. But these seven will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the seven eyes of the Lord roaming throughout the earth. Those seven eyes prophesied all the way back in Isaiah. And, we, and they tell us we know what they are. The seven spirits of God. The lamb is the branch and the cornerstone with the same eyes of penetrating vision and complete spiritual and universal wisdom. Closing right here. The three great qualities of this kinsman redeemer are in plain view now. That goel, that lamb standing before that scroll. The only one worthy to begin to open the seals. They're all in plain view. First was his sacrificial virtue to take away sin. He's standing as slain, the only one. The second is aggressive strength to conquer and to overcome all enemies and foes. See, no one else would, could, could pull that off except for the lion from the tribe of Judah. The lamb with seven horns, all power and authority, all cosmic power and authority, like all of it. He's the conqueror. No one else could pull that off but him. Otherwise, they would be able to open the scroll. The third is perfect and universal intelligence, direct from the indwelling spirit of God in all its fullness. Isn't it cool? Like, we can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and have the mind of Christ. He can unlock this word. He can open it up and reveal it to us because he is the most intellectual. He has all of it. There's nothing that surprises him. And these are the qualifications which he appeared before the throne and the elders and the living creatures and took the scroll. Now, this was a hot mess today, I understand. But if you go back and you put the three together of the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, the lamb with the seven horns and the seven eyes, you're going to see a beautiful picture of the Redeemer and the qualifications of the Redeemer. Why we're spending a lot of time on that? Because this is the most important time and thing that's ever going to happen in all eternity. It's what all creation is anticipating for. It is what we are, oh, we can't wait. If you understand that time when those seals, the book of Revelation is the most awesome book. It's the unveiling of Jesus and the unveiling of redemption. Oh, and if you're a Christian and you're a believer and you're one of his, you're jumping up and down at this. Like, yes! Can't you wait? I can't wait. And when people pass, Jackie Root just passed. She's there. She's in a place around the throne room and sees God and is all the keys of are locked. All, the, all of the dimensions are opened up. All, and there's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no disease. She's in her right mind. She's, she's seen the Redeemer. And she's, like, time is, there's no time. So it's going to be like she's celebrating, and all of a sudden, poof, we're all there. It's like, hey, what's up, guys? She's having the time of her life, more alive than she's ever been. And that's our goal. And that is what they're prophesying about. Jesus, help us. Help us understand your word. Help us understand your plans. You're perfect in every single